Hey, good morning. I'm glad to be here. My name is, is Craig Jarvis. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Village Church East, and it's my privilege to be able to bring to you uh, the Word of God this morning in Scripture. We've already sung and praised the Lord, and, and uh, we've lifted up His name and worshipped. And so we're going to continue in worship this, now, this time now by opening His Word and looking into His Word. If you're new with us, we're doing a series in First Peter, and uh, we're all the way into First Peter 2. And this morning we're into a very different, i got to tell you, a very difficult passage. Um, this took me a lot of time to work through. It usually does, but this one in some, in some particularly difficult ways. And hopefully I'll be able to communicate to you a little bit of the struggle that I went through in putting this message together for you this morning. I, uh, I've not always been in ministry. I've actually been in ministry for about 30 years now, but before that, I did have a real job. And uh, I worked at, I, I have actually worked at a couple of different jobs. I've, I did newspapers when I was nine years old. I left the house at five o'clock in the morning and uh, delivered newspapers around, and, uh, and child services didn't come after my parents for that. I was able to do that. Um, they, my parents didn't know when I left, and they didn't know when I came back, and I had to get my own lunch together, get on the bus, and go to, go to, town, uh, go to school. Uh, all every single every single morning from that moment forward, I've kind of always been working. I've, I've been worked as a security guard. I've worked at, as a, a warehouse personnel. Uh, worked as a waiter. Worked in all different uh, all different kinds of jobs. Loved all of them. Construction, yeah. Thank you, Beth. Yeah, that's how I got like this. And uh, <laughs> one of the hardest moments that I had in. Uh, uh, at my job was actually when I was in the ministry. It was at my first church, and I was working with this senior pastor. It was, it was he and I. I came on as youth pastor, uh, and I was excited about working with him. He actually uh, got to know me and hired me, and I was excited to be able to be mentored by him. As time went on, um, I began to see some, some flaws in his character that I found difficult to work with at times. Um, and it kind of all came to, to a head one Sunday morning, right, before we went out on the platform, we would always start in the choir room. So we'd meet with the choir, we'd pray with them, and uh, we'd kind of give them a lowdown of where they're going to go in the service. We'd do the same thing here, like a pre-service meeting, uh, just so everybody knows when they're, when they're coming up and what they can expect. And so we did this with the choir, so there's about 25 choir members in there, and I went up to, uh, to meet with them. And the pastor, senior pastor, had uh, promised them that he would do something for them the week before. Something had gone wrong the week before, and he said, I'll take care of it, and he had forgotten to take care of it. He was embarrassed about that because the choir was asking him, hey, did you take care of this thing? And he, he actually had forgotten. And so he's standing literally in front of me. I'm standing behind him. The choir, they had all practiced. They're all sitting down, and they asked him about it. And it was a really important thing to them. They needed it to, to work that morning. They didn't want the same thing to happen that morning. They needed that job fixed, done. And he, said, and he, he did not do it. And so, uh, so this is what he said. He said, uh, you know, I would have done that. I gave the job to Craig, and he dropped the ball on that. Now, I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't even know there was an issue from the week before. None of that. And I was standing right there, and I was listening to this. Now, this is not the first time he had done this, and so it was kind of like, oh, man, I, I'm embarrassed in front of 25 people. I'm the young guy. I'm like 23 years old. So I'm, they're looking at me and going, yeah, you know, he's just a young guy. He doesn't know really what he's doing, so we'll, we'll, we'll give him leeway. But it wasn't my fault. I hadn't, I hadn't dropped the ball. He had. 
And so afterwards, uh, and I didn't want to embarrass him, I didn't want to say anything, and so uh, as the choir is flowing out, I went right up to him and I said, listen, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you never gave me a job to do. I didn't drop the ball because I didn't know that need, job needed to be done. And he said, this was his response, he said, oh yeah, do you want me to call him back in and I'll tell them that I made a mistake? And by that time, half of them were gone, and I said, you know, it's no big deal, let them, let them go out. It's a difficult thing when you work with somebody that treats you poorly. It's a difficult thing to work under somebody who has authority over you that you don't respect. I, we get into this, this portion of 1 Peter, and Peter is talking to a group of people that want to live for the Lord but live among a group of people that don't necessarily even desire to live for the Lord. They don't even know the Lord. Their values are different. Their, their, their uh, interests are different. They're, they're, they're being made new by the Spirit of God. Their, uh, their priorities are different. And they live among this group of people over here that are the same. They, they are not redeemed. And so they find themselves wanting to live for the Lord, but in effect having to operate working for and working underneath people with authority and living with people who have authority over them. And they're constantly, like me, getting disheartened with the situations. At that moment in the choir room, my respect for my boss went down a little bit. And right there, I had to know, I had, I had to go out to the service and I had to sit through the morning service and I still had to give him his rightful place of authority over me and over the church. But my question to you is, what do you do when you have to work with somebody or you have to live with somebody who has authority over you or you have to live with somebody with authority in some aspect around you and you just, for the life of you, can't respect them? These sojourners that Peter is writing to, these were exiles, they raised their kids differently, they valued different things, they, they loved different things. They're being persecuted under the Roman Empire. This is the beginning of the persecution that eventually leads up to the Colosseums where Christians are thrown to the lions. But they yet still have to work with and respect with those, uh, give respect to those who have authority over them. And the question is, how do you do that? Church, how do we do that? Because my situation is probably very, very familiar to many of us here this morning, many who are listening this morning. How do we get along? What recourse do we have as believers when we don't like our leadership? How do we live godly while living with authority that has no regard for living godly? So I take you to 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Let's jump in this morning. Peter begins talking on the subject by saying, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is a very difficult concept to grasp. So we're going to take a little time this morning and work through this slowly. First of all, we are subject to people in authority over us, just like they were in Peter's day, for one reason. And that reason is for the Lord's sake. In fact, this is a theme that runs through here. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 18, servants, that's workers, be subject to your masters, your bosses, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. In other words, not only to the good bosses, 
(laughs) but also to the bad ones. Verse 21, for this, Peter says, this subjection, this subject, this attitude of subjection, for this you have been called. Now, first of all, let's talk about what subject does not mean, all right? Subject does not mean allowing yourself to be taken advantage of. Subject does not mean staying in a situation where you are, you are abused on a regular basis and not doing anything about it. That's not what we're talking about. There's many, it's not, a, it's not a question of do I stay or do I go. There's a lot of options that we have in between. Staying under the authority of a person or, a, or an institution or leaving. There's many, many stops in between. And sometimes we need counsel to know how to handle different situations. But God has you where you are for a purpose. God has put you in that. It's not, God didn't wake up this morning and go, oh man, Catalina has a bad boss. I did not see that coming. It's not a surprise to him. He has you where, not that Catalina has a bad boss. I'm just, I saw her. She's in my line of sight. She's going, I don't know. I don't even get to talk about that. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an aspect of, what, of God's sovereignty that he knows where you are. And he has you there for a purpose. All right? And that purpose is not to fight or flight. There's a lot of steps in between. Also, every one of your instances and everyone who's listening to this are way too complicated to deal with all of them in one fatal blow this morning. So what I want to do is I just want to look at the the seed, where we start this conversation and where Peter starts this conversation, the starting point. And I want to talk about what it means to be subject. And then I want to let the Holy Spirit apply it to your situation. All right. So this, you may be thinking to yourself, Craig, you have no idea how hard it is to be subject in my situation. And you're right, I don't. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. But what I am going to do is I'm going to walk through this passage of Scripture because these people were, had to be subject to people that were not like they were, had not the same values that they did, and did not understand their love for Jesus Christ. Peter's about to address the groups in his day that are helpless. And interestingly enough, he deals with people that are helpless to make change. Slaves to bosses, citizens to government, and wives to husbands, and also husbands to wives. He talks about these four, he stops on these four instances where people had some kind of an authority or some kind of a structure, an institution, where they had to voluntarily submit. And he picks these four, over the next few Sundays we're going to be talking about these, but in particular, these four have to do with slaves to their, to their bosses, workers to their bosses, citizens to their government, and both parties in the marriage context. Let's talk about what subject means. The Greek word for subject is upatasso. You like that? Yeah, upatasso, upatasso. With a little salad dressing is wonderful. Upo means under, and tasso means directives. So literally, upotasso means you are upo, you are submitting, you are putting yourself under the command or the directives of someone else. In other words, in English, what this means is subjection is willingly not getting your way. It means allowing someone else to get their way. Okay? Subjection means intentionally allowing somebody else to get their way. I told you this is going to be hard, right? It's going to be tough. Human institutions are allowed and church-supported by God. 
God has all your authorities in your life where he wants them, whether you're working for a Christian or just surviving under some godless boss, whether you're living in a country run by people who say they're Christians or you're living in a country with rebels who fight against the authority of the one true God, whether you're in service to a boss who treats you well or just getting by in an institution run by broken people who are ruining it. God is talking directly to you. Next verse, 13. So here it is. Be subject. What does it say, church? Be subject for the Lord's sake. To how many institutions, church? All right. So there's not much wiggle room. (laughs) I want to give you as many back doors as I can, but on this one, there's none to take. We are to be subject to every human institution because of one reason, because it is for the Lord's sake. This is not be subject when it feels right. This is not be subject when you get R-E-S-B-E-C-T. That's, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about be subject for the Lord's sake. People are talk- Peter is talking to a group of people who just don't feel good about submitting. These people were being persecuted by the Roman government, and Peter is writing to them and saying, listen, I want to tell you how you, you get along in the Roman government, all right? These people that are going to start throwing you to, to lions and tearing apart your families and subjecting you, putting you, taking you out of your homes and sending you to God knows where and you, because you're, you can't be around other Christians. I'm talking about them. Here's how you get along to them. Be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake. We follow Jesus by doing good. Now this has to be more than just Look at that. Look what he says. Or to, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What does it mean to do good? This is our retort. This is what we do instead. We subject ourselves to their authority and then we do good. Doing good has to be more than just the bare minimum. Because even the unbeliever was doing the bare minimum. This has to be just beyond uh, just obeying the law. This means that we are to engage ourselves in events that benefit the community that we're in. Doing good means we go above and beyond so that we can be a blessing to the communities in which we live. Doing good is more than just obeying the law. It's to bless the communities in which we live. The same idea, actually, was in the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah gave instructions to the exiles who were taken into exile under Babylon. The Babylonians were worse than the Romans. I mean, if we're gauging here, Romans were were pretty bad. But Babylonians, worse. And Jeremiah writes to the exiles, the Israelites, who were carried away in captivity. Their homes were burned, their women were raped, their their fathers were killed, only the children were taken away. It It was horrific. Jeremiah writes to the exiles who have been abused under the authority of the Babylonian Empire, now taken to Babylon to live in a city they don't know, given new names, have to learn a language they don't know, and slaves for the rest of their lives. Seventy years of captivity. That's a whole generation. And he writes to them and he says basically the same thing that Peter says. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf 
for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That means to the government that is abusing you, you bless. And by the way, these are not private acts. These are public acts. Acts of goodness. Maybe even acknowledged by the society in which they live. Now you know they did this because this is where not only Jeremiah kind of came out of the smoke here, but also uh, people rose to the surface like Daniel. You remember that name? Daniel did good. Did good, and he was promoted under the Babylonian Empire into some pretty amazing areas of responsibility. But I believe it's because he followed this command from God in the book of Jeremiah. And he sought to bless the city in which he lived. So Peter goes on to help us understand. This is what it looks like. Verse 16. Live as people who are what church? Live as people who are free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. In other words, choose to use your freedom to help those who are still enslaved. Live as though you're serving Jesus Christ every time you serve somebody next door. Live as though you're serving Jesus Christ every time you serve somebody at National Night Out. Live as though you're serving Jesus Christ every time you walk in the parade in Carroll Stream and hand out cold water. This is why when we did this this year, we, we had an option. I mean, getting water to, uh, to this parade and handing it out was, was a bit of a challenge, but getting cold water was even harder. And so when we sat down and we started talking, I said, listen, if I was standing in a parade with a bunch of kids in the middle of July, I would love water. Okay, it's a given. But I would really like cold water. And so we bent over backwards and iced those suckers down so that the next morning when we woke up, every one of them was rock solid. And by the time we started the parade, they were all like dripping with this, this sweat on the outside of them. It was solid. Some of them even had little pieces of ice in them. And when we handed them out, we gave people a cup of cold water. Why did we go the extra above and beyond? Because of this command. Because we want to not just get by in our community. We just don't want to do like a level 5 service. We want to do a level 10. We want to bless the community in which God has put us. Because that is his command to us. And along with that, we willingly submit to the authorities and we do good to our neighbors and to our cities. He goes on to say in verse 17, So, honor how many people, church? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. These three words, honor, love, and fear. I broke them down into a wonderful chart that Megan had to do a little bit of, a little bit of work on for me. But, but it, uh, it helps me understand a little bit more of how this actually looks. Honor, everyone, means tamao. The word is tamao. It means show respect, give recognition, actively honor their position or place. In other words, give value to them. Whoever you meet, whether they're on your scale, whether birds of a feather flock together, whether you kind of click with them or you don't click with them, we honor how many people, church? Everyone. Everyone is valuable to God. Therefore, everyone is valuable to us. It doesn't matter their economic status. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter their, their sexual background. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. Honor everyone means honor everyone. Everyone. 
This is why if you study Scripture, there's no way that you can have any kind of a racial bias or anything like that. It does not exist, which means, which drives me crazy because when people look at us and they say, oh, you believe the Bible, you must be a racist. I'm going, oh, you obviously are listening to what other people say. You should really read it for yourself because it says, honor church, how many people? Everyone. Everyone is included in the group of people that we give value to. Honor everyone. That's everyone in your community. That's not just everybody in the church. And it's broken down for us in some pretty cool ways. He says, fear God. Now, fear God is the center. This is where we start from. Without fearing God, you'll never get to the uh, 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 aspect of things where you can honor everyone. But fearing God means to surrender your rights. God is the greatest authority. And so we voluntarily surrender all of our rights to God. This is what we do regularly at church. This is why you listen to me for half an hour or 50 minutes. If, if you're on a good day, 40. All right? So this is, how, this is why you're here. Because it's a good reminder to us that without the ability, without the understanding that God is at the center of our lives, we'll never get to the place where we can honor everyone. God has to be the center. Our fear of God means that whatever God says, we do. We don't get to question it. We don't get to to debate it. Now, there's some aspects of what is taught in Scripture that I I love to talk about, and we're going to have varying views on it. But at the very bottom, both of us agree, whoever I'm talking to, if they're a believer, we all agree, whatever God says, we do. And to not do it... (laughs) is a dangerous place. You don't want to live. And for Christians, we love to, to obey God. Our fear of God stimulates, actually, our love for Him because we understand who He is and therefore who we are. So fear of God means simply this. I surrender my, my rights to the greatest authority of all, and that is God. The second section is, I love the brotherhood. Now, who's the brotherhood? Who's brotherhood? Brothers and, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> who's the brotherhood? Yeah, that's right. We are. We are. Those who know Christ as their Savior in this church or other churches or all around the world, if you follow Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a part of this brotherhood. Now, the love that is here, love the brotherhood, is agape. Does anybody know what that word means? Love. Yeah, that's right. It means love. Give this man a gold star right here in the front row. Love means love. Now, agape is like the epitome of love. Agape means I sacrifice everything in myself for this other person. It's very difficult for us to get an illustration of what agape means in this, con- in this world. The closest thing that I could explain to you is my love for my wife or my love for my children. Right? No matter what kind of morons my kids turn out to be, I'm going to love them. I know. They're, they're, they're such angels. They're such angels, yeah. They allow me to say stuff like that because they're so far from being, you know, that. (laughs) What would you not do for your kids? What would you not sacrifice for your kids, right? How How would you love your spouse in a sacrificial way? It is the best example of what we have for what this love means. Love, agape, is a way that God loves us. And when will God leave us or forsake us? Never. That's agape love. It's a love that bends over backwards for the other person. So what this means is that kind of love will draw out 
subjection on my part. I will willingly submit to my wife, whereas I may not willingly submit to you in the same way. Right? It's a different kind of, of passion that I have to love my wife in a way that willingly defers to her. We may go out for, for dinner, and she, I may say, where do you want to go for dinner? And she'll say, Panera Bread. And I'll say, I don't really want to go to Panera Bread. I'd rather go to um, Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> There's a new one just opened up up the road, by the way. Yeah, Just FYI, it's a great restaurant. One of our own works there. Alex, where are you? Where are you? Where's she? Alex works over there. Yeah, she loves it. And it's better because she's there. So kudos to Texas Roadhouse, right? So I really want to go there. Beth, Beth would say, no, Panera Bread's much better for you, Craig. (laughs) And I'm going, I'm willing to give a year, a year of my life just to eat another steak. I'll do that. But because Beth wants to go to Panera, I may say, yeah, okay. I will willingly defer to... Now, that's a silly illustration. Talk about something that's harder to do. That's the agape love, where I willingly defer, even though I may have a different passion, a different idea, a different, uh, a different need, I may say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this, because I willingly defer to the brotherhood. That's why when you come to church, you'll find a group of people that are like, what do you want to do? We want to do what you want to do, and it's a great place to be when you can live like that. That's agape love. There's another circle, and that circle has the word honor in it. Honor the emperor. Honor human institutions, in other words. And this is the idea of being willing to submit to. I'm willing to submit my rights, my needs, my wants, so that I can honor the institutions, the human institutions that God gives me. This is an intentional decision to joyfully obey authority structures until I'm required to violate God's law. And then I don't violate God's law because that goes back to the center of the one that I have to obey. If God says it, I have to do it. Okay, Craig, but what if the civil authority does godless things? What if my civil authority does bad things with the money they take from me in taxes? Shazam, they do. If you didn't know that, then you're living under a rock somewhere. My taxes go to support abortions, which I do not believe in. And I think our murder, personally, that's my personal viewpoint. I'd love to talk to you about it if you want to talk to you about it, talk about it afterwards. But this is my viewpoint. I don't like giving my money taxes. Planned Parenthood, take, uh, over the last three years, has taken $1.5 billion of federal taxes to support their abortion clinics. I don't like doing that. But because I live in this world where God has put them as my authority, I pay my taxes. I follow what Jesus said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar and to God that which is God's. God gets all this. Caesar gets the paper that has pictures on it. This is why I don't have a problem drinking coffee at Starbucks. Starbucks doesn't agree with all my convictions. In fact, they agree with very little of my convictions. But I pay the money for what I consume, and they are responsible for using that money as they want to use it. That's, that's there. That's, every one of us has to stand before God. And they do as well. And so I don't, have, I, I don't have the same convictions that other people will have where they don't want to give their money to this organization or that organization. If I try to gauge every place where my dollars are going, I'm going to drive myself insane. You buy a bottle of bleach, where's your money going? You have no idea. But this is the battleground. This is our war. 
We stand for our convictions, but we honor human institutions. And these are just more than just words that we say. This is the genuineness that God calls us to. This is living out who we are, our identity. My identity is deeper than my sexual orientation. My identity is deeper than the color of my skin. My identity is found in what God thinks of me. That's my identity. And so I must live up to that identity first and foremost. That's why he says in verse 18, he starts on the roll. Servants, be subject to your masters. What does he say, church? I told you it's hard, right? Yeah, you may want to leave at this point. It gets worse. (laughs) Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the morons. (laughs) Also to the unjust. You got a good and gentle boss? God bless you. Not many people do. But you submit to them with all respect, whether they are good to you or not good to you. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So church, reluctant obedience is not subjection. We subject ourselves to our boss and no faking it with all respect. Okay, can you ever disobey your boss? Should we ever disobey civil authority? Yes, when it goes against your identity. And your identity, again, is deeper than what the world tells you it is. Your identity is who you are in Jesus. We submit to others. We obey God. Get that? Say it with me. Just so I know. We submit to others. We obey God. He goes on in verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good... Go above and beyond, and suffer for that you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He says, do good and endure. Obey God regardless of the personal cost. And here's the hard part, church. We live in a confusing world. Sin messes things up, and sometimes it's really hard to figure out what the good thing is to do. We live in a world where it's really confusing. It's it's really vague on a lot of things. And so we're left with questions like, what is the good? What is the right thing to do? Can you hire an illegal immigrant? Can you not claim tips on your taxes? Can you hide a Jewish family in your house when the Nazis come and knock on your door? What if my institution forces me to wear a gay, gay pride shirt or march in a gay parade? What if my government tells me to bake a cake for a gay wedding or I'll go out of business? Do I sell flowers to a man who's cheating on his wife and buying flowers from me for the woman he's sleeping with? We live in a very difficult world that has been messed up by sin. And we live in this place where it's sometimes really hard to figure what's the good thing that we must do. Some things are not always black and white. Your conscience plays the war that we talked about last week with our new identity. And basically, church, we need to humble ourselves enough to ask the question, am I wrong on my views? Here's how you can, here's a checklist. I don't want to leave you hanging here. So here's a checklist. 
You can take a picture of it if you want or, or write it down, whatever you want to do. But here's a checklist of four different things that you can do to try and figure out what is the good side to come down on. Am I doing really the good thing or just being obstinate? Number one, seek counsel from godly people. Not just one viewpoint, but many viewpoints. I am not the smartest man in this room. God definitely knows that. You should know that too. I am God's spokesperson for this position because he has gifted me to serve here. But if I give you counsel and you're saying, oh, it doesn't sound quite right, go to somebody else. We have lots of elders. And even last night, we were texting, our, texting back and forth on some things that we disagreed on. And they're wrong and they'll learn that I'm right, but that's okay. <laughs> we live in a world where we look for godly counsel. And ultimately, we're going to come up with a decision on the thing that we were talking about last night. And one of us or both of us or all of us are going to end up submitting to the other. Why? Because we love the brotherhood. It's how we operate. Seek counsel from godly people, not just one viewpoint. Number two, pray about the issue. Ask God to give you a clear conscience. And he will. Be th number three, be ready to defend your view with the Bible. God has preserved the Bible so that it can speak to your situation. So read it. For God's sake, go to God and find out what he wants you to do. If you don't think the Bible is relevant for today, you just need to hang out for, with us for a little while because we believe the Bible is very relevant and that's why we use it every single Sunday. And number four, allow others to have the freedom to do what their conscience demands that they do. Now you might find number four is the hardest of all because that means that you may take a stand on an issue and somebody else may take a stand on that issue in their viewpoint and you have to learn to live with that person. Can you believe it? You don't just get to be friends with people who think just like you. I don't know what's going on in the world today, but that's what the world is teaching us. You can't talk to somebody who believes differently than you do. I don't know where that started, but that's a lie of the devil, because in church, it's made up of all kinds of different people with different viewpoints. And in church, we willingly submit to the others, because love conquers everything. But you have to stand God before God with a clear conscience, and God will never lead you to go against what he has revealed in his word. If God says this in his word is true, he'll never go against it. He'll never say, but in your case, you can go the opposite direction. It never works that way. My highest subjection is to the word of God. I may lose relationships based on my view of what God says in his word, but preserving relationships is not my highest calling. Obeying God is. The highest call is submission to God's word with a clear conscience and a spirit of love. 1 Timothy 5, 5 says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then Peter says, listen, this is hard to swallow. I get it. But this is why you're here. Verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Our highest call is to submit to God in a spirit of love. Church, we have been called to this so that we can be lights in a dark world. This is why Jesus suffered. He suffered as an example for us so that we can see Jesus didn't revile in response. Jesus didn't threaten in response. And Jesus didn't sin in response. 
and neither should we. Ultimately, God is the one who judges. You may feel like your boss is judging you, the government is judging you, your friends are judging you, and that may all be true. But your greater judge is God. And someday you'll have to stand before him just like I, and you will give an account for the way that you lived your life. And so we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. When Jesus submitted to authorities, he in reality submitted to God. That's why he goes on with the example. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter's point, take your cue from what happened to Jesus. What happened to Jesus wasn't fair, it wasn't true, and it was evil. But Jesus submitted to that so that God's will could be done. And I want to tell you, you have no idea what God's doing in your life. I have no idea why why God put that pastor as the lead pastor for my first exposure to working in a church, because it almost knocked me out of the ministry. But I do know this, whatever God did in my heart through that circumstance built me into the person I needed to be next day and the next day and the next day. The point is submit to others, obey God. So what? How do we, how do we win? We yield to submit. That's how we win. That's why it's a mandate for us, for the Lord's sake, the governors and the emperors sent by God. This is the will of God. This is your calling. God is working out a grander picture than you could possibly imagine. Your job is to submit, to honor, to love, and to fear God. That's our job. The way we win is possibly by losing our own rights. I told you it's hard. It's hard, right? This is a hard one, right? I know. Keep our minds focused on the most important thing. Joyful submission is the most compelling tool in our box. That's why in verse 12 he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Demanding steals your power and sabotages the gospel message, but submission amplifies the gospel power in your life like few other things. Because the world is not used to that. That stands out. And Jesus is our example of how to do this best. Number two, not a carpet to walk on, rather an example to follow. Now, that's brilliant. You should really take a picture of that because that is really good stuff. Not a carpet to walk on, rather an example to follow. Take advantage of the appeals process when you can. Pick it, speak out, make your voice heard, whatever you can, whatever appeal process you have, take it. Go to the HR department. They are sent from God too. Whatever you need to do, do it. Take advantage of all these routes. But sometimes we may lose and end up doing things we feel uncomfortable doing. Do it with joy. I must obey my conscience as it is remade under the authority of the Holy Spirit. I will continue to fight for the rights of the unborn. I will continue to speak against it. And I may have offended you this morning. My purpose is not to offend you. My purpose is simply to tell you where I stand on this issue. I I don't want to offend anybody. But I do want to stand up for the rights of the unborn. I feel strongly about this. And so I'm going to preach that. As long as I'm allowed, I will preach that. And when they come to arrest me for preaching that as intolerant speech, I will with joy go to jail. 
I will submit to the authorities. What about muddier areas? Should I teach curriculum I don't agree with? Can I promote a cause I don't believe in so I can keep my job? Should I join a plot to kill Hitler? That's up to your conscience. That's completely up to your conscience. Now listen, if you know me, you'll believe this to be true. I hate leaving this here. I want to tell you blacks. I want to tell you whites. I want to tell you there's nothing in between. But in this case, there's some in-betweens. And you are not going to agree with me on some things, and I'm okay with that. And I'm not going to agree with you on some things, and you have to be okay with that. Ultimately, the conscience is being redeemed by the Holy Spirit, and you have to be responsible for that, but you have to follow Scripture. You have to do your homework. You have to look for godly counsel. You have to do what God says to do in the process. I can live here because I believe Jesus will inevitably make all things right. And he will make our light shine no matter what he leads us to do. I just want to thank God for the checks and balances that we have. Our religious freedom is still intact. I don't know if it always will be, but it's still intact. And I'm going to enjoy it while I have it. Um, you can run to government and try to change culture if you want to. You're allowed to do that. You can pick it. You can, you can go to court to make, make your voice heard. You can do all that. And, and maybe you should. But we still in a world, live in a world that's lost its way, and we feel like we're losing our battle constantly. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm losing this battle constantly for righteousness. And so I want to tell you about something that's happening in a couple of months. You probably don't know about, because I didn't, and I'm usually up on these things. There's a new curriculum for Illinois public schools starting in District 65 in January 2020. Just so you know, this is what's going on. This curriculum has to do with the um, uh, the homosexual agenda and they are LGBTQ rights are going to be going into our schools and they're going to be teaching a new curriculum and here's how it looks. I wrote it down just so you'd be aware of it. This is what's going to happen. Preschool and kindergarten is going to start there as early as preschool and kindergarten. Students will learn about their identities and the identities of others. They will explore concepts of families, gender toys, clothing stereotypes, colors, meanings, flags, allyship and identity. That's preschool and kindergarten. First grade, through shared writing and reading experiences using the book They, She, He, As Easy as ABC by Maya and Matthew, students will learn how to introduce themselves using their name and pronouns and will practice using others' names and pronouns. In first grade, these kids will be taught how to use English incorrectly. Second grade to third grade, students will recognize and discuss stereotypes in fairy tales and create their own inclusive fairy tale to share with lower grades. In other words, second and third graders are now going to teach preschoolers, kindergartners, and first graders, what it means to live a homosexual lifestyle. Fourth grade to fifth grade, students will watch a PBS documentary about a girl who dreams of leading the boy-only hula trip and a teacher who empowers her through indigenous culture. By the end of the week, students will have been inspired to create their own gender-inclusive advertisement for a product. That's fourth and fifth grade. Sixth to eighth grade, students will learn about various activities and activist strategies, oh, sorry, various activists and activist strategies employed by the LGBTQ plus community. They will identify a movement that they feel strongly about and will create locker posters to draw awareness to that issue. This curriculum is designed for students with exceptional needs. Students will learn about each of the colors on the intersectional pride flag. They will explore the meaning of these colors through hands-on activities. Anybody know that was coming? Yeah, yeah did you? I didn't. Yeah. So again... I don't know where you stand on this. I'm not looking to make an enemy with you. But, but at the very base of this, should we not figure out what God thinks of it? I would like to. 
And I happen to believe, looking at scripture, that God would not approve of this. And, and more than that, this is becoming very, like, more than just normal. This is now indoctrination so younger kids can teach smaller kids than themselves. The younger kids that look up to these older kids are going to think, oh, yeah, they believe it, even though they may not. There's going to be more of this coming. I, I wish our schools were as, as passionate about this as they are about are passionate about teaching our kids English and math, don't you? So let's take advantage. Like I, I, would, I would say that we should take advantage of the routes to make our consciences known, where we stand on these things. And some people already have. And here's the response they got. On October 8th, District 65 School Board President Suni Kartha sent parents and staff a statement, quote, our administration has heard from a number of parents who want the ability to opt their children out of this curriculum, the District 65 Board of Education does not support allowing students to opt out of this or any curriculum that seeks to include a more complete account of the role of historically marginalized people in our society. As such, curriculum is vital to support our district mission of preparing students to contribute positively to a global and diverse society. In other words, no. No one's going to be able to opt out. So what are our options? Well, I don't know. If this, if this goes across from District 65 to all of... All of uh, Illinois or all the United States, if you're a teacher, you're going to have to determine if you want to do this. Are you, are you going to join in this? Because if you don't, you may lose your job. Or you may be seen as an intolerant person. Uh, our, we may need to look at homeschooling. We could see a mass exodus from the public schools. I don't know what's going to happen, but this, this, is, like, this, this, is, this is going to create an issue. <laughs> We should take advantage of every avenue that we can to say we do not agree with this. We do not have to submit to this because I believe, as many believers do, that this goes against God's word. Ultimately, we may see a, a birth of homeschooling and maybe they'll be attacked next. I don't know. But ultimately, ultimately, we follow our conscience regardless of the cost. Church, we follow our conscience regardless of the cost. Now, you may sit there and think to yourself, well, Craig, that's not a big deal. Some of these things that you've been talking about aren't such a big deal to me, and I respect that. That's fine. Just wait. Just wait. Because inevitably, it will come across an issue that you do feel strongly about. You may disagree with brothers or sisters over many things over the next five years, and I want to tell you, over the next five years, it's only going to get muddier. But we have to learn, church, we have to learn to live with each other, even though we may disagree on areas, even like this. We have to learn how to live with one another. Unity that we find in disagreement is the light for Jesus Christ in this darkening world. While I don't agree with the stand, I've got to love the people that made up the, the program. Right? Tough. When they force me to do something I don't want to do. Welcome to exile living. Finally, last thing, our willingness to submit ultimately works for good. Our willingness to submit ultimately works for good. Now, this is very hard to hear. But you should know that verse that I told you about the Babylons. You remember that? When the Babylons took the, Isra uh, the Israelites into exile? Do you remember that? And they had to work for the good of the city? For those of you that know your Bibles, you'll know that Jeremiah 29 is a very popular verse for a lot of Christians but we don't read Jeremiah 20, 29, verse 7. We skip down a little bit. You should know in context 
This brings up one of our favorite verses. After Jeremiah says, work for the benefit of the city and for the people that took you into captivity and for the people that hurt you and continue to do so, work for their benefit. Submit yourself to them. Right after that, he says in verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill you my promise and bring you back to this place, back home. For I know the plans. Does this sound familiar? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Church, that verse that we love is encapsulated in the idea of joyful and willing submissiveness to our authorities. God's will is more important than our rights. It was true with Jesus and it's true with us. Navigation is the challenge because it is a muddy, muddy world. But God will help you with that. And God has put people in your lives to help you with that. Listen to godly counsel. Submit yourself to the authority of God's word. Seek out in prayer where you should stand on issues and then follow it with your whole heart. The bottom line is submit to others. Obey God. Let's pray. Oh, it's so easy to say, submit to others and obey you. It's easy to say that. They, they, those words roll off of our tongue as believers. But boy, when we compare what we're going through to what they went through in Peter, when he wrote to this group of people that were constantly being abused and constantly persecuted, living with an emperor that was absolutely godless and killing Christians in horrific ways. And then Peter says to them what we have talked about this morning, submit to the institutions that are over us. Lord, that's when it becomes hard for us to hear. And so through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you speak to our hearts and help us to receive what's difficult to receive. Change us in the ways we need to be changed. Help us to be submissive to one another out of an agape love for you. And in this way, Lord, may we live like we do indeed fear you and obey you and love others. So give us the ability to follow through on what we've heard this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.